0: What a great series, because he's a great God, amen? Amen. And uh, was heard about the amazing message that Pastor Tiffany brought last week. Come on, some love. So let's get straight away into the word tonight. If you would, turn your Bible to the book of Acts. Kind of hard to talk about the Holy Spirit and not move to the book of Acts. Acts, the very first chapter. Let's pick it up in verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but you've heard me make this comment before But that's one Bible study I really wish I had been in. I mean, can you imagine here? This is the crucified, resurrected Jesus before his ascension. How many of you know they were listening to this man a little differently than they were previously? Because here he sat speaking about the kingdom. But it says, verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them This command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, say wait, Wait. but wait for the gift. My father promise, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Now in just a few verses, Jesus is going to give his last command, the very famous verse 8, you will be baptized, go and be witnesses, et cetera, and so forth. And then he's gone. So this is among the last words that Jesus spoke to these disciples. And yet he said to wait. There's a command there that he knew that what they were about, what they were about to face The mission and commission they'd been given was going to be impossible unless they waited on the Holy Ghost. It begs a question for you and I, how often do we wait? Do we wait for the Holy Spirit? And it says, wait for this gift. You know, at Christmas, there's always the one gift that we're waiting for. You know, you have all of the preliminary gifts, you know, the little bags and the socks in that bag. And there's a bunch of junk in another bag. And, you know, the kids are tearing through everything because there's one main something. Come on. It's probably something electronic that costs a lot of money. But there's one main something they've been bugging you about since September. And they've gone through all the preliminary small G gifts in order to get to the capital G gift. And if you wish, all of those other gifts are just, if you wish, a foreshadowing of that which is yet to come. I was raised a heathen episcopalian, which meant I learned to sit down, stand up, and shut up at the, at the appropriate moments. And we learned the historical creeds, and we we talked a lot about in the Episcopal Church the Holy Ghost. But I had no experience of the Holy Ghost because I'd had no what experience with the Holy Ghost had good doctrine had been catechized but there was no experience there was no reception there was no appreciation beyond just the words you see our orthodoxy what we believe and our orthopraxy what we do have to marry you see it's not enough that we get our doctrine right we get our theology straight we get our right scriptures lined up we create a great systematic for what we believe about this third person of god but it's about getting our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy to come together that's the sweet spot because it's only when that happens here's another word that our if you wish our ortho Patheo, our emotions ever get healthy. It's only when what we believe and what we do converge that we're ever going to come into really any real health. Otherwise, it remains theoretical. And our appreciation and participation with the Holy Spirit, saints, hear me, is not optional. It's not an add-on. It's not sprinkles. On the the ice cream Sunday, it's not the cherry on top. But the experience, the participation with and the appreciation of the Holy Spirit, it's the whole thing, ladies and gentlemen. And a robust pneumatology, there's another fancy word for you tonight. It simply means the study or theology of the Holy Spirit. Our theology has to become a lot more robust because if it doesn't, we become casual about the spirit. and We become cold toward God. You see, you can't be casual about the Holy Ghost. You know why? It's Jesus was not casual about the sending of the Holy Spirit. It was understood. He said, unless I go, what did he say? Another will not come. But if I leave, my father will do what? He will send the comforter, the paraclete to you. And The method of Jesus' exit, what was it? It was his crucifixion. This is how important this is to the purposes of God experienced in our life. We find the spirit being revealed from the beginning. Talk about the law or the principle of first mention in scripture. We find right here in verse 2. And it says the spirit of God did what? Hovered above the waters. Many times we don't think about creation being the activity of the Holy Spirit. But that same Ruach. That Tiffany spoke of speaking to that valley of dry bones. It was that same Ruach that it was the vibrations that some people think that hovered above the waters. And it was God speaking that caused things to come together in a way that had never been there before. And it wasn't just a making, it was a creating. Different words. You make something from existing ingredients. God was creating something from nothing. This is the power of the word of God. That God speaks into the nothing. And he creates something that wasn't there before. He speaks something into your life. He's not just rebuilding and remaking the parts. He speaks something powerful enough to create everything around us. Trust me, that same spirit is powerful enough to create something in you. You might say, oh, I've never seen that before. It's not inherited. It's not generational. I don't have that gift. I don't have that skill. Don't worry about it. The Holy Ghost can create it on the inside of you. And let me tell you, Where there's no Holy Spirit, a lot of things don't happen. Where there's no Spirit, there's no reproduction. Where there's no Holy Spirit in operation, there's no manifestation of paternity. If there's no paternity, there's no adoption. If there's no adoption, there's no promise. Because our inheritance is directly related to our adoption as sons. And what is the genesis of the manifestation of that? It is the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and I testifying with our spirit that we are what? God's children. Christians wonder, why am I not inheriting? Because your paternity is still in question. Or God's paternity is. And your sonship is still under assault. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that important in our lives. No power without the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Spirit. There's no power. There's no Pentecost. If there's no Pentecost, there's no church. Pentecost was not just a historic event that we read about in Acts, the second chapter. Pentecost is not just where the church started. It's what should sustain the church on a daily basis. Where there's no presence, there's no person of God. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, "The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And we get so goofy sometimes about what we understand about the spirit. I read a book that you shouldn't read. It's called it was named it was called The Shack. An allegory. Theologically it's a train wreck. But it was an interesting book. But the description of the Holy Spirit is it 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 put into words what most people understand about the Holy Spirit. This sort of wisp and whim and just kind of, you know, just, you know, woo. <laughs> Not the blood and guts third person of the Trinity. And where there's no presence, saints, there's no worship. Because there's nothing to worship except history or hope. It's all we've got left. Where there's no presence, there's no distinction. Moses' encounter with God, Exodus 33. What will distinguish us from the other peoples on the earth unless your presence goes with us? Where there's no presence, there's no freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where there's no presence... There's no real joy. Psalm 1611, because it's in your presence, is the fullness of joy. Where there's no spirit, there's no production of fruit. It's called the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5. And then the prerequisite preference and priority gets lost. Galatians chapter 3. After beginning... With the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? How many of us, we use many times the Holy Spirit as some kind of jump start. And then once we start heading in a direction, we take over. Thank you, God. It's like checking in on, a, on your GPS. Got it now. We just cut it off. I know where I'm going. I'm good to go. I don't really need you any longer. And the question for us now, this place, this moment of the church in 2021, what will distinguish us? What will distinguish us? Mission? Three E's? A purple book? A building? The name of a pastor? What will distinguish the church the same question should remain today that Moses asked many, many years ago. and It should be God's person manifested by the presence and performance of the Holy Spirit. Well, You can't say performance. Why not? What's wrong with that word as it relates to God? God's not afraid of performing mighty acts in our midst. God's not afraid of being put on the spot in an instant to heal, to move, to be the God that he is. One theologian said it this way, the church depends upon the activity of the Holy Spirit without which its effective and faithful service is impossible. Not truncated, not diminished, impossible. And again, it's not optional. He's not optional. He's not an add-on to worship and mission, but central, essential. Said more directly, there's no building less the Holy Spirit. As the church is uniquely designed and dwelt and wholly dependent on Him. And as we build both corporately And individually, I believe there are at least five hallmarks of the Holy Spirit that need to be evident. Now, a hallmark, it is a mark that's put on something to certify its purity or its authenticity. For instance, if you look at a piece of jewelry and you look on the inside, it will be inscribed somewhere in there, if it's precious metal, Something like 10K or 14K or 18K. Sterling silver has a has a hallmark. That is that, that that it unless the silver is of a certain percentage of purity, they cannot by law hallmark that. And there should be a hallmark on your life. There should be a hallmark on the church. That indicates its origin, its its, its ownership, and its purity. And here are the five. One designed by God. Number one, your life. The life of the church. The church is not a happy collection, collision, or collusion of human thoughts. Intentions and events. But it's purposeful. It's planned. God is never caught off guard nor by surprise. Designed. Second, built by God, built for God. With you and I, 1 Peter 2 is what? Living stones. But we never need to forget that the church is built by God. Uniquely for God. Church is not built for people. (laughs) The church is made up of people. It's not built for people. And that's not a nuance. That's not subtle. That's something we need to keep in mind. The worship that is offered from this platform is not about making you tingle. It's not about you getting to sing your favorite song. It's about offering sacrifices acceptable to a holy God. And it may not be your favorite tune. Ephesians chapter 2, in him the entire building joined together rises to become a holy temple. What kind of temple? A holy temple. Who? In the Lord. And in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in what? God lives by his, come on, spirit. Spirit. And it begs a question for us. It says that God lives there. So are we building for visitation or habitation? Are we building a moment on Wednesday night where God might come down and we may have a a moment at the altar that we're waiting? Oh, God, if you would just show up, we'll sing you another song. I'll slip another 20 in the offering. No, 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 no. There's a huge difference in visitation and habitation. And for too long, we've been satisfied with the former without pressing into the latter. Third hallmark continually filled with God by his spirit, holding all things together by that same spirit. Mission and commission by the spirit. And the challenge for those of us who are part of this holy temple. Or have been given a stewardship over some aspect of it. Be it through the reception of spiritual gifts or some stewardship of ministry. Whatever we've been given is to be sure that all five of these hallmarks are evident. But for the sake of time, I just want to highlight the last three. The first, wholly owned by God. Please notice that it doesn't say partially. wholly owned by God. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not belong to you anymore. You were bought, you were purchased. And the manifestation of that purchase is the receipt of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, many times we use that as as a receipt, a down payment, the promise of something yet to come. That's true. But that receipt also says, you've been bought, boy. You have been purchased and your life is no longer your own. And it's the Holy Spirit that's there giving testimony to the fact that you don't belong to you anymore then the church belongs to its members. The church belongs to God. Critical, we keep this in mind. Wow. And this is shown in a couple of different ways. First is the inworking ministry of the Holy Spirit, one of which I've already referenced out of Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. Later on in the same passage, it says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Ephesians chapter 1, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Wow. And this is all stuff the Holy Spirit is In working, in your life and mind, whether we hear it or recognize it, it's ministry that's always going on. But then there's an outworking of ministry, which is more visible. The Holy Spirit manifested in the church. And ladies and gentlemen, you know the way that God primarily manifests his spirit. It's not the happy Hebrew hop. It's not the raise hands. It's not the exercise of spiritual gifts. Do you know what the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit among a people might be? Unity. The Holy Spirit enables Christian unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 3 through 4 making every effort it says to keep. You know if you keep something it means you don't have to obtain it. It means you just got to hold on to it. To keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, as you were called to one hope when you were called. John Wesley said this. The true members of the church of Christ endeavor with all possible diligence, with all care and pains, with unwearied patience. To keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To preserve inviolate The same spirit of lowliness and meekness, of long-suffering, mutual forbearance and love, and these cemented and knit together by that sacred tie, the peace of God filling the heart. Thus only can we be and continue living members of that church, which is the way, the body of Christ. You see, saints, unity is impossible without the Holy Ghost. Let me say it again. Unity is... Is impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's why the world can never experience unity. I won't say it again. It's why the world can never experience unity. It can't. By extension, it also cannot experience reconciliation. Why? Because the world and the spirit are in what? Opposition. It won't work. And the world through its most determined efforts, be they demonstration, persuasion, coercion, or legislation, it's not going to work without the Holy Spirit bringing forth that unity. This is why the church has the only answer, not a answer, not an alternative culture. It's not an issue of us being woke or doing a better job. It is our witness, our testimony, our inheritance. We're the only ones that can do it. Relationship must be empowered. And we empower as we reveal information about ourselves. Ephesians, the first chapter, Paul writing, I pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Not so that you can know deep secrets and cool stuff, but that you might know him better. This is what this is all about. My wife and I have been married for 43 years. We know a lot of stuff about one another. It's a reason that through shared vulnerability that now we've created something called intimacy. Because we've shared parts of our lives we've never shared with another human being. God does the same thing with us through his spirit. Ephesians 5 talks about this reflection of Christ in the church. Again, impossible without the Holy Spirit. Empowered to forbear, forgive, and forget. Let me tell you, every one of us in this room, we have a story of somebody that's done us wrong. We've got the pain. We've got the marks. And the only way we ever move through it and beyond it is to allow the Holy Spirit To do something through us. Father forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's a divine prayer by the way. They don't deserve it. Neither did you. Wow. John the 17th chapter. This incredible prayer. Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone. May they be. In us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, and they may be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Saints, listen to me. Unity is perhaps our greatest testimony and one that glorifies Christ uniquely. Second, we are continually filled with God and by His Spirit holding all things together. The Holy Spirit forms the church. You didn't form the church. The church is not a good idea of human origin. Although men and women many times hijack the church for all kinds of good purposes, but it's not theirs. It never was. First Corinthians 12. We were all baptized by one spirit in the one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. The Holy Spirit indwells the church. 1 Corinthians 3:16. Don't you know that yourselves, you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives where? In Reflective of Ezekiel 10. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim, moved to the threshold of the temple, and the cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of God. And saints, listen to me. God's primary intent for your life, my life, and our corporate life is to be at that dwelling place where he can move in. Not just show up on occasion when we make a 911 call. Not just to show up in our panic rooms. But to show up in our prayer rooms. To show up in every room and corridor of our hearts. And then the church and you and me were missioned and commissioned by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who provides mission for the church. It's the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual gifts as he directs, Romans 12. It's the Holy Spirit who gives both gifts to men and the gifts of men. Ephesians chapter four, verses seven through 13. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man. And Saints, he provides the particulars of mission. The power and the person toward his purposes. And we can't provide any of those. The best we can do is cooperate. And the Holy Spirit enables the church to function and serve one another. And saints, we get excited about gifts. But the more pressing question for you and for me, why this gift and why me? Why this gift of service? And this is what they are, ladies and gentlemen. They're not just collect all nine. And that we get prideful because we have one or two of them. But they're gifts of service given us. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 14 of the greater gifts. The Greek word there is okadame, which it's an architectural word, which means to build or to build up. Wow. 1976, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Got the gift of prophecy, just didn't know what it was for five years. Got the gift of tongues, I knew what that was. But I didn't know what the gift of prophecy was. But to the extent that I knew whatever it was, I exercised in it pretty fluently, regularly, faithfully. For the next 15 years. Until... It became a commission. When the Holy Spirit directs the mission of the church, he must continually empower it. I was traveling out of state this past weekend and was ministering to this family. The man came up to me after the prophetic moment. And he said, I started traveling with Anton LaVey when I was a teenager. If you don't know who Anton LaVey was, he was the founder of the Satanist Church. He said, for 30 years, I was a Satanist. He got miraculously saved. In tears told me his testimony. Everything that he had been through. But he told me the genesis of why, as a young teenager, he turned to Satanism. He said, because my father was so violent... It's that I was looking for anywhere that I could find power to protect my mother and my siblings and myself. And my heart broke, not just for his story, but the fact that he could not find that same power in the church. But he could find it in Satanism. God help us. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, you're trying to attain your goal by human effort? And it's a sad testimony of much of the historical church. Starting out in the power of the Spirit. But at some point along the way, they allowed their mission. They allowed their liturgy. They allowed all of their human machinations. And they stopped fanning the flame. They had a beautiful fireplace and no fire. You can say, well, Pastor Pastor Jim, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, we're charismatics, we're Pentecostals. I'm the most concerned about us. I'm the most concerned. Because we've got the right orthodoxy, but do we have the right orthopraxy? And, Saints, listen to me. Do you realize that when we have the right beliefs, but we don't have the right practices? We've become functional deists. So what does that mean? A deist is somebody that acknowledges God, just doesn't believe that God has any affairs in the current state of man. You and I don't believe that. But the reality is, when the Holy Spirit is not part of our daily experience, we are functioning as deists. Not as spirit-filled men and women as God intended. Acts chapter 4, after they prayed, it says the place where they were meeting was what? Shaken. It's the place where you meet with God. Is it shaken? And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The Spirit directs the church's missionary enterprise. Acts chapter 13, set apart from me. Barnabas and Saul and he calls people but he also directs both placement and place even to the point that there are times that the Holy Spirit will come and say it's a great idea don't do it Acts chapter 16 Paul and his companions about to try to go into some places preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached and God said no why because it wasn't the right place nor the right time. Interesting. And that mission has to overcome not just cultural or cognitive resistance, but spiritual resistance as well. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, that the God of his age has done what? Blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And you see, saints, the spirit is the primary spokesman about Christ. I want you to hear this well. Our goal and our role is to allow his spirit to testify through our lives. You know, I appreciate people talking about their testimony, their story, what God has done for them. But yet John 15 says this, When the counselor comes, whom I will send, the spirit of truth, he will testify, come on, about me. Guess who the primary evangelist is? The Holy Ghost. Now, do we have participation and cooperation with it? Absolutely I'm not saying don't tell your story. I'm not telling you don't to testi- not to testify. But what I'm saying is the spirit that's testifying about Christ when all of this is working the way God intended. Wow. 1 Corinthians 14. If an unbeliever or someone who doesn't understand comes in where everybody's prophesying, what does it say? He'll be convinced that he's a sinner and be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart laid bare. He'll fall down, worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Holy, I, I, I'm afraid that, Pastor Jim, if, if, if I do that, people are going to run in the other direction. It's not what it says. It says when we allow the Holy Spirit to be God through our life, it is the testimony of Jesus coming through us. Revelation 19 says the spirit of prophecy is what? The testimony of Jesus. Hmm. Wow. What have I said? Where are the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit on your life? Stamped. Evident, visible. Not just as to what is evident, but who is an evidence in your life. If we're casual about the Holy Spirit, we'll eventually become callous and cold toward God Himself. You can't have it both ways. Acts 19, and I'm closed with this. Paulus was at Corinth. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, We didn't know there even was a Holy Spirit. Paul said, What baptism did you receive? John's, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. It says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And it says there were about 12 men in all. This was a pattern set by Jesus. Baptism in water, baptism in the Spirit. But I began to ponder as I was tacking this message together. Where in our Pentecostal tradition did we separate these two events? Now, I'm sure that there are much much greater church historians and theologians in this room. Pastor Duke, Pastor June, others. But I had to wonder to myself, you know, it's always now. Baptism in water. And then somehow, sometime later, after the fact, we'll get you baptized in the Holy Ghost. But I wonder, where did these these events become two separate events? Because right here, we see Paul. Let's get it done right now. We see Jesus coming up out of the water. And we see immediately the Holy Spirit landing on him like a dove, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see no gap in time whatsoever. Interesting. And as I've already said tonight, it's not optional. What distinguishes us? And as we close tonight, I want us to close asking this question. Are the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit Evident in my life. Where have I become careless or callous toward the Holy Spirit? And you know, there's only one way to answer that question. And it's first of all, to repent. Repent of what, Pastor Jim? I don't know. Figure it out. I got to tell you, I'm not sure that any transaction That we have with God. That repentance is always a great place. To start. Get on your feet if you would. And I want you to raise your hands right now. Go ahead. And as you know. This is a universal sign. For surrender. Lord Jesus forgive us. Forgive us. God, for being careless, casual about the very third person of who you are. And every bit as precious in substance, every bit as real, needed, necessary as father and son, the means by which that God, we are able to connect with you in this realm. So, Lord, forgive us. We repent. Lord, fill us. Fill us. Fill us. Lord, even if we came to the front last week, the week before, and the week before that, we've already leaked out. Sin punches a hole in us. Neglect punches holes in us. So, Lord, fill us. Envelop us in this room. Fill us. God, the same way that your spirit filled the temple, God fill these temples, fill these temples, fill these temples. Well, we don't need to come to the offer, come to the altar to manifest anything. God, this is a transaction between you and between us, between heaven and earth, between our void and your filling. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us. Lord, forgive us for allowing. Our hunger to be satisfied and at times even satiated with everything else but you. Change our appetites. From that which the world constantly makes available and feeds us with. God, change our palates that it no longer satisfies that God, it's only the rarefied environment of your spirit by which we will be satisfied. That's a dangerous prayer. But God, if we want to be dangerous people, we've got to start praying dangerous prayers. Phyllis, Phyllis, keep asking Him. For those of you concerned, it's eight twenty-nine. Phyllis. Let us not just check the box tonight. Go home home in the same state that we came in here with. Lord, imprint and hallmark our life. So there's no question at all whose we are. Jesus' name.